0: Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source. My co-host is Nicole Vulcan, our editor. We are powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. And we are also powered by Rock and Dave's Bistro and Backstage Lounge, Midtown's hotspot for bagels, breakfast, sandwiches, soup, salads, and catering. We are appreciative of the fact that you're taking some of your time to listen to us chat with the people who shape our local community. This is our calm in the eye of the hurricane of publishing, so thanks for being here with us. Today, we are talking to Joel Wertz, Executive Director for Deschutes Defenders. Joel is a strong advocate for veterans and those suffering from mental illness. Joel has served as attorney for those going through mental health court and the Veterans Intervention Strategy. A leading proponent of holistic defense, he has worked with local stakeholders to ensure a safer and more equitable community. In his spare time, he runs the trail often with a headlamp, and tries to expand the emotional intelligence with the help of his daughters and wife, a therapist. We invited Joel on the podcast to talk about the ongoing crisis in public defense, something we've been reporting on for a number of years here at The Source Weekly. Joel, can you sort of set the table, if you will, about what that crisis looks like in Oregon right now?
1: Um, Well, the the crisis today is, uh, there are a number of accused in jails who have not spoken to attorney do not have an attorney appointed despite um, six, it's been 60 years since the Supreme Court said every person accused of a crime has the right to have an attorney. Uh, this is a crisis that's been decades and decades in the making for underfunding and there has been uh, a huge drop in number of people willing to have enormous caseloads and uh, poor pay. Sure. Uh, so now we're in a crisis where there are not enough attorneys for the um, accused here in Oregon. Yeah.
2: So, uh, certainly it means, you know, um, some significant stress um, on the, the part of the people who are doing the work. I'm also curious just about what the effect, you know, um, is uh, for the people <laughs> accused of crimes. What does this mean for them?
1: Um, well, f- for some, they're stuck in jail, not knowing what the next step is. Um, and I think it's important that this crisis of underfunding affects, you know, all sides, including, let's say, someone who is uh, a victim of the crime. They don't know when it's going to be resolved, so they're in limbo as well. So, not dealing with the crisis, um, uh, a number of parties are negatively affected by that.
0: Yeah, you mentioned caseloads mm-hmm. and what it means for public defenders to step into this field Um, can you give me a sense of what that looks like I mean I I I can imagine that in this arena and when you step forward out of law school and you're like I'm gonna do the good work of being a public defender you you really can't possibly imagine what that's going to look like in terms of uh, the backlog as it slides over to these kind of folks maybe elaborate a little bit on that.
1: Yeah, there, I mean, there is uh, a group of people come to law school, they want to be uh, public defenders. They see the, the value of of uh, defending the Constitution and people's rights. Um, and some of them have had the opportunity, I had a little bit of an opportunity to represent or uh, uh, people who are accused of crimes or been convicted of crimes. So some of the young persons have some idea going yeah. into it. Uh, what they don't is the uh, toll it takes of several years when you have more cases, meaning you have more work to do than you possibly can do, and it's um, the term easy term for this is sort of the moral injury, where day after day, week after week, that I'm, I I want to help these right. fifty people, but I only have time for ten people. There was recently. Well, it's been or, already been over a couple years. Um, Oregon uh, asked the American Bar Association, ABA, to come up with a, a, a study about how many cases a public defender should have. And what they came back with is really they should have only a third of, hmm. of cases to do the job that is ethically required to, to do.
2: Right. When you say a third, you mean a third of their overall caseload or, or a third of what they have right now?
1: um that that's a good question a question is uh they um the last couple of years the the state agency has been contracting for how many cases you should do for a year and we have been arguing a better metric is how many cases do you have right now to limit how many cases you have now and the reason for that is um there's changes uh an attorney leaves you pick up more cases the f- How many cases a firm get shouldn't be the metric is how many cases right now we should limit how many so you can focus on the number of clients, really a limiting the number of clients you have so you can really work, work on a case.
0: I would so, think that that would <clears throat> basically be giving you a good metric of how many people aren't going to be served by – I mean if you have – if the public defenders have way too many cases, study comes out and says – hey, these guys should be taking a third less, two-thirds of those cases that that are currently pending now or even more of those are going to get backlogged. So then you have an argument to go to voters and say, hey, check it out, this is far worse than you think it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a clear study, and you see when cases are that high and there's still an effort to try to do the work is cases get backlogged? They get longer and longer, so things don't get resolved. Um, victims aren't uh, compensated. People spend more time out, could commit more crimes. So really, this is not simply a criminal that uh, de- defense crisis, a public defense crisis. This is really a criminal justice crisis here. Right. Uh, and step one is is lowering the number of clients each attorney has so they can get those persons justice and the system moves much more efficiently and quickly.
0: Well, you mentioned just briefly there the effect on public safety overall. I do think sometimes people imagine that what we're really just talking about is criminals not getting a a lawyer in a timely manner, but this really does ripple through to the general public.
1: yeah, it it does. I mean, people sometimes think, well, wh- wh- why do they need an advocate? But, you know, the problem with our criminal justice system is it's not just criminals in the system right now. We represent people who are in- mentally ill and really shouldn't even be in the system. So we yeah. try really hard to try to give alternatives to doing that. Uh, I just looked at a recent study where we used to um, – through a, a process, commit people to a mental hospital for them to get mental uh, health treatment. And back in 1970, there was uh, 50 uh, people per 100,000 that the organ would commit to the hospital. And there were some real problems with that commitment. Many of us probably sure. have seen one flew over a cuckoo's yeah. nest <laughs> in the right. problems. So there was real problems. There was great reform. But now we've gotten to the other side where we have no resources for the, right. these folks. They're, and the the way we structure the law is so strict, what they do now, unless, the, unless they're in immediate danger, they aren't committed. So what happens is in, instead of committing and getting treatment to the state hospital, they commit some minor crime. And then they're stuck in jail, also not receiving any treatment, right. sometimes sent to the state hospital. Um, and so it's not healthy to um, – it's really not he- healthy for the community because these people are on the street and possibly victimized because they're not getting treatment. It's not healthy for them because they're now in jail. It's not healthy for the jail. Jail is not meant for the mentally ill. It's right. not structured that right. way. It's, uh, it's expensive for the taxpayers. Um, and we, we feel we're on the front lines of trying to move that trying to advocate the legislature. You've got to change the civil commitment laws. Um, we've got to move uh, prosecutors and judges. We've got to move these people back into a caring for them in a mental health treatment, finding housing for them, finding treatment for them. Um, and I, that's what we're trying to, trying to do here. So it, it, it's incredibly important.
0: What percentage would you say of the cases you're seeing as a defender are the types you just described where, you know, perhaps these aren't, this isn't, these aren't people that need a vigorous legal defense. They mostly need somebody to explain to the court that they were in having a psychological event.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, one part of it and probably, um, the most satisfying is, um, finding justice, finding the innocent person, you know. Right. And that is a portion, and it's critical to uh, the function that we actually have a justice system. But there's another point where uh, the people are, are voiceless, either through mental illness, um, cognitive impairment, um, massive uh, trauma, where we're trying to find what are the, the resources, the needs to uh, move them from... Being in the criminal justice system to either the mental health system, um, into drug treatment, uh, into um, disability um, or guardianship. And you were asking, to go back to your question, well, what percentage is? um, I, you know, just thinking about my own practice, um, probably at least a third of the people... Um, have significant problems that are really not related to, uh, you know, criminal thinking. They're, like, profoundly either mentally ill, they're they're a a veteran who really needs services for PTSD. There's something profoundly that can be changed if we um, think of uh, this as a, a community problem, a holistic problem. There is that small percentage of persons who... You're going to trial. They're going to be set away for a long time. We need to have prisons, but that is, is a, a, a smaller fraction than people uh, assume. It's
2: interesting, and I think this is more just a comment. Um, you know, there's there's folks in our own community who have looked to you know just the past district attorney and said this person isn't doing enough. They're too soft on crime. From you know just conversations with um, with the district attorney. You know, uh, from his perspective, there's just cases they have to throw out because, you know, there's no recourse to really prosecute them. I'm just curious, you know, what kind of conversations you engage in with the prosecutors in our community um, around that issue?
1: Um, You know, ultimately, they're they're elected to prosecute and they have um, their um, choices they make and they, they do it. Uh, I mean, I have ongoing um, conversations. I think it's important when I have those conversations to um, come to the table with with um, the prior district attorney or current currently uh, Steve Gunnels is, you know, we don't have infinite number of resources. What What is the most bang for our buck? Um, you know, if we don't. Here in Deschutes County today, we don't have a major crisis with the unrepresented. But if we uh, take these minor cases and we just keep them in the criminal justice system and we don't have reasonable resolutions, that that could uh, affect um, case buildup and we can't resolve and get cases through to trial, um, you know. I think they are receptive, and uh, you know, there's a n- number of factors going on. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you, uh,
2: you have a defend the police movement going on. You have, you know, well, at least a conversation of the past few years around that. Um, of course, that that reminds me of, you know, just I'm just reminded of all those conversations that were happening. Uh, you know, yeah,
1: I mean, I I think that. Um, that that sort of conversation wasn't uh, particularly effective because uh, making tr- transformative change in any organization, it's not helpful to simply defund uh, them. It's usually need better training, better funding, and we when we have done that, we get better outcomes, better just outcomes.
0: It was um, a terrible marketing slogan. Yes, it was.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it was not. <laughs> it's not effective as a slogan or or practical. Um, right. You know. I just last week I was um, at a, a, a training that, I, you know, we have to be work together. You know, I worked with the prosecutor last week. They had a program um, teaching uh, law enforcement about how to deal with those with mental illness. Um, and so I, I think that uh, shows that there are connections to the community that we're not going to solve this by arresting people. There's a group of people that we need to where can we bring them bring them to the hospital how do we get mental health treatment how do we connect with behavioral health there's a um, uh, there's a center right next to the jail for those with mental illness um, how do we uh, how does the the whole system use it the courts the law enforcement public defense the prosecutors use that um, that's that's going to be the solution to community safety and uh, here in this community and across the state.
0: One of the things I'm fascinated by is how during the pandemic, you know, all these processes change, and I know that was true of the judicial system. What did you guys notice during your office during that time when uh, we went through all these changes?
1: Well, the amazing thing for us is we had an opportunity to realize what we can do when we have lower caseloads. Um, April and May of 2020, um, there were very few cases going through the court system before they um, put in place the the remote uh, appearances and determining that we were going to do a, a trial a court a trial court in uh, Redmond at the fairgrounds. So we had a, c- a couple months um, when we were we did have lower caseloads. And what was fascinating is we have investigators and we have four investigators on staff and um, attorneys give a request for them, hey, I've got this case, I need to see these witnesses. Um, And those, the numbers, the number eight, attorneys requesting investigations increased, even though we weren't doing, uh, getting new cases. um, They actually uh, rose uh, over 10%, even though we weren't getting any cases. And, And what we saw is, when you actually have time, you're working with the cases, having the time to talk to clients, You can work the case, and we saw that in in outcomes, uh, whether it's uh, dismissal or uh, reduction of charges um, or just finding out information uh, about the underneath the client, finding medical records. They have Mm -hmm. an underlying neurological uh, problem, and so we felt that we actually were doing the work that um, the Constitution requires us to do. Right. Uh, so it's a little bit frustrating when we come back and people are saying, "Well, you should be able to take more cases." In, uh, and I think um, that may be part of the reason why people left. It was like, "Oh, I realized what we should be doing." And now you're telling us to stop doing that because I'm giving you all these cases. And so now we have the the uh, the crisis.
2: In terms of, uh, you, you mentioned this briefly, just that, you know, in Deschutes County, we have uh, less of a, a problem in terms of a um, uh, o- over case overload for each of um, your individual attorneys. So what does that look like at Deschutes Defenders compared to counties um, elsewhere in the state?
1: I don't have uh, all the number. I don't have numbers for, uh, so I'm t- talking in generalities. Um so, uh, talking to other directors, it appears they pro- they probably have twenty or thirty more cases. Um, let's say about twenty more cases than uh, we have, um, and so th- that's the big difference there. and And that I think is really a result of um, the number of people that uh, have been uh, leaving public defense. And so that turnover is resulting in the, the attorneys that remain having, particularly ones with the more serious crimes, more and more caseload to the point where now they're saying, we can't take more because we, we can't uh, keep attorneys. So we, we've got to stop taking, we literally cannot um, uh, represent another attorney. Uh, excuse me, another a cl- uh, client.
2: So, I mean, just in ju- <clears throat> does that like can you attribute that not being the case? Or, you know, here as people are moving here, you're getting more interest from from folks wanting to be in the field here in Deschutes County.
1: Uh, I the, the diff- most difficult thing that we have had, and we you we were able to do a very tight. T- uh <laughs> tight rope we we were running the edge and that is because the uh, the cost of living Yeah. trying to get and you you've probably heard this from a ton of sure. different professionals whether you know it, it, you know doctors accountants is trying to get trying to get an accountant uh here it, it's really a struggle and it's really uh the cost of living so we walked a tight rope we were right on the edge and you know thankfully uh, our cases just didn't rise um like they did in in some of the other uh urban center well some of the urban centers
0: i'm one so the the image that i'm getting in this situation is something like you know the old mash you know sitcom where you're in a triage unit the number of uh people coming in is certainly not slowing down and given a population increase has got to be going up What does that look like on the horizon? Like, you you see this in schools, and I mean, we I don't mean to broaden the subject, but um, what potentially is the solution? I mean, at certain point, you have to stop prosecuting, do you not?
1: Um. I mean, that, that's one option, and certainly some of the lower level is not prosecuting. I, I, th- I, I think there's some real easy wins, though, and I go back to what I talked about earlier is getting the, uh, the mentally ill out of the system. That, that's a big uh, burden that I think there's, there's cost savings there, and community safety would be just w- much, much improved if we change the civil commitment laws, build up our resources uh, with um, mental health treatment.
0: But I mean, where would where would something like that start?
1: Um, I mean, well, what? I mean, in in the legislature, they right. they need to fund those uh, things. They need right. they need like um, one of the easy ones is a, a lot of this transitional housing because it's really expensive to to put a person in jail and then go to um, the Oregon State Hospital. And there's a big percentage of people that really do not need that. Full level of hospitalization, which I've heard numbers between twelve hundred to nineteen hundred dollars a day, or a lot of these can be community-based treatment. Like long-term, that is where you're going to see real cost savings, and it can, it can start um, this year. We've got some months with the legislative session. Um and that that's gonna make huge progress.
2: Have you seen any um, movement in terms of I know some of it is just the the laws around civil commitment that we've put in place since we had sort of that big hospital model. Yeah, any legislators working on that issue that you are aware of?
1: Uh, I know there is some work group about changes to the civil commitment. i I haven't heard that the the push is coming this one, le- session. They're talking about next session i think that's way too late i think um it, it would be huge in terms of the issue of housing which is the number one priority of the governor i think it's huge for uh, uh, community safety another priority um so do you think yeah. people
2: are drawing the line between let's just go there and say that you know we we're, we're experiencing a houselessness crisis in our state? Do you think people are connecting the dots that some of that could be you know due to our civil commitment laws
1: uh I haven't heard that articulated as well as it really should be i mean that's that is a concern I mean there's a the cost of housing and it's um the gross uh lack of treatment in our communities for that population. And they make up a very large uh, portion of the houseless population.
2: Yeah. So maybe it's more of like a, you know, there's more marketing (laughs) to be done over this issue. Um, So we... (sighs) I can't remember if we talked about the specifically the American Bar Association study uh-huh. um that showed a lack of full-time attorneys, you know, what that what that means. Um how does that track with other legal professionals like admin assistants and investigators? Are we still are you seeing a, a shortage of of all of these folks across the board that support your work?
1: Um, I I think for us, our our biggest ask is to add, uh, at least for us, and I've heard other public defenders, is bring um, caseworkers or social workers into the public defense holistic model. So that's what we are looking for in terms of um, long-term, what is uh, best practices is being able to connect people to the resources, so we we don't see them. We don't want repeat customers. That's our mm-hmm. goal: it's not to have repeat customers. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and we we've uh, funded one, but we could definitely use another one and use that as a model to um, make sure our, we work on help on housing, or just get a driver's license, or a social security number, or you know, uh, apply at the. Um, local jobs uh, center um, being able to have that uh, in house would be um, would be a game changer for us and and really for the community
2: so so you're talking about like getting you know I just want to make this a little more elementary so I yeah. try to understand it helping people get the tools they need so that, that they don't reoffend yeah um, having that inside your office and and aren't there also those resources at the county level right now? Um, and what does that look like in terms of connecting your clients to those?
1: Yeah. They're, they're, the advantage we have if we're doing it in-house is a, a trust issue because they see okay, us on our, our side. They sometimes, and it's not personal, you may have someone super talented at the county, but there's this uh, disconnect. The, the same if... Um, especially if we get it pre uh, pretrial sometimes like instead of a probation officer or parole officer telling you you should do this and that, because they see you as someone who could take me in jail anytime, um, we can develop oh, yes. the rapport and yeah. trust. And it and it, and it's it's valuable as someone who's, you know, suffering with mental illness or um uh drug treatment where they don't see us trying to shame them or threatening them uh with with uh, jail. So it's just an, an advantage that they can feel safe and then we can move the process like, we, you know, let's do these little steps. We'll, we'll, we'll drive you over to the um, treatment center. Let's see what, kind of, what medication-assisted uh, drug treatment looks like for you.
2: So right now, does some of that support service fall on the attorneys themselves? What what is it? Do you have anyone who works in that in those capacities?
1: So we do have one caseworker. I'd like to double it. I think if we could do that throughout Oregon, that would be a huge benefit. That also um, uh, can be some you know cost savings because I I'm sure if we did some studies, it would reduce recidivism. It also means that the attorney is not doing that so right uh, so so then we need less attorneys because we have less uh, people coming back into the system so probably the return on investment with caseworkers here at public defense is probably two or threefold
2: where would that money come from and in just in theory if this was a, a thing that really was available
1: um the the legislature can authorize the state agency to provide that service
2: okay
0: let, <clears throat> I'll be the Debbie Downer mm-hmm. in the podcast. If <clears throat> nothing happens in the legislature at yeah. this point and nothing happens in the next legislative session and the, the trend is up, you know what does is, what is a full-blown crisis in this area look like? I mean, if you're taking on two-thirds too many caseless right now, I mean if there's no relief coming that could climb to you're taking on there are seventy five percent more cases than you've been taking on eighty percent. What at what point do does the society break down or do you have I mean what does the next step look like, I guess is what I'm asking?
1: Uh <clears throat> I mean, practically speaking, yeah. it, it, it's probably long term slowly getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I don't think they could uh, put significantly more cases per attorney because uh, it, it, there would for sure be a federal lawsuit and a mandate that they couldn't do more. Don't you feel we're close? Yeah, I, I think that would that's likely um, to happen. There, I know there's uh, a suit already. I don't know the current status of it uh, in Multnomah County um but um
2: it's like a 6th amendment challenge you mm. you lost your right to a speedy trial right and to your your you know yeah all of that
1: so there's going to be more cases that are going to be dismissed if they don't make some changes. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the question is how many and at what pace and, and where in the um, state. So you're going to see it first in, in the Portland metro area. And then some, uh, some of the outlining rural areas are going to start to be problematic because there's some real struggle to get um, – Uh, public defenders uh, in some of those rural counties as well. So that that would be the second. Um, um, And we'll we'll see a tightrope. Right now we're okay in Deschutes County, but it it wouldn't take much for us to uh, fall over.
0: I got to think that um, unbeknownst to the general public perhaps is this has got to be pressure inside the district attorney's office to just say, Man, we we can't keep we can't keep pursuing this this level of uh, prosecutions. Just an unspoken, like, what are we gonna do? Send more of these cases to the defender's office? Like, it it can't happen. So, uh, let let
1: that one go. Yeah, I mean, I I think they they're gonna need to become more creative. You you can't just take it every police report. I mean, I. I've had really good discussions of about thinking, you know, sort of outside the box in these kind of cases, being creative of, of what's the solution here. Um, and, and sometimes that is um, dismissing uh, a couple of cases, but maybe having another case on um, and resolving it that way. And, um, you know, we use specialty courts or... I mean, I I've had recent good discussions about. Hey, I mean, we both. I, I mean, I go to them. We both need community safety. I've I've sure. got two daughters here, mm-hmm. and my wife's a therapist. She understands how uh, being a victim of crime can traumatize people. So we we can come together and to come to solutions. So I um, I mean, I I see certainly here in Deschutes County and, and elsewhere. You know, creative thinking. Um, that it's not like, well, that's just public defense. That's their crisis. I mean, it's ultimately it's a community safety issue, and um, being able to work, you know, work across the aisle, you can right. come up with some right. good solutions. And and I've already I've seen that a, a, a little bit. So I guess I I'm, I'm going to be hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, what you're talking about, really, you know, you you said it's about public safety, but it's really touches so many other aspects of society. Yeah. Um, you know, having someone in your corner to connect those dots is mm. seems like a helpful endeavor. Yeah. Um, Joel, before we wrap up, is there anything, you know, you'd like the public to know or a way that they can engage in terms of just supporting the work that you do?
1: Um, yeah, you certainly could talk to the legislatures. <laughs> know that uh, our, our local ones. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, wh- which party we the uh, same. We we all want the constitution to be here too there's individual rights and we want to take uh care of uh, everybody in the community and uh we're part of the solution here and just having someone to talk to and advocate for you and being able to sit down and listen and not um yell at each other you know <laughs> um it's gone a really really far away so you know We can start out with a conversation where, you know, we need to lower caseloads. We need to be, but ultimately, I think through just conversations and being creative, um, we can come to uh, make uh, all of Deschutes County uh, a a safer and more equitable place. So thanks so much for inviting me here today.
0: Yeah, thanks. I found this fascinating. Thank you very much for coming in.
2: Yeah, thanks for being here. Joel Wurtz is the executive director of Deschutes Defenders. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks.